Here's a news flash. Surprise, surprise. Well, look at you. The whole world is watching for my next move. Oh, my God. Times have changed. There are no rules. You're going to love it. Hi, and welcome to Skip Intro, the podcast from Binge, all about the world's best television. My name is John Bowen, I'm here with Ali Herbert Burns, and together we look after all the great TV and movies that you see on Binge. Ali, we're doing something a little bit different this week. We're still going to talk about Succession and give some people some recos, but uh, what are we doing? We're just going to spend a bit of time having dinner party recommendations, because I think we were saying last week, John, how much new stuff had been coming and it was it was hard to kind of cover all the big new headlines and it just meant that we hadn't been pulling out some of the hidden gems so much the last few weeks. So I thought let's dwell there and then jump into episode eight of Succession Recap. Should we head to the microwave and grab our TV dinners? <laughs> dinner party Actually, the kind of dinner parties you and I have is like TV dinners. That's so true. Yeah. <laughs> our TV is our friend. Well, I've got two things that I want to talk about, but we can maybe tic-tac-toe. They're both documentaries from the last few years, and they're those things that have been on my watch list for a long time, and over the last few weeks I finally got to, and I'm very glad I did, um, and I'm very glad I have a podcast to talk to people about them. So one of them is a bit sad, and one of them is a bit optimistic. So let's start with the sad one. So I'm talking about a 2021 documentary called Persona, The Dark Truth Behind Personality Tests. The creators of the Myers-Briggs may have had a vision of simply helping people understand themselves, but now that the genie is out of the bottle, they can't necessarily control how it's being used. It is useful for individual people on journeys of self-discovery, but when they're used to make decisions by other people affecting somebody's life, they become dangerous tools. This is a um, HBO Max doco. It was a co-pro with CNN, I think. Ali, do you know your Myers-Briggs personality, whatever? No, no, I don't. Yeah, so there's two big types of personality tests. There's Myers-Briggs and there's one called Big Five. And basically, like, colleges use them, schools use them, and increasingly, and what the documentary is about, is about how corporations are using them in recruitment. So they're effectively using these... Um, what on the surface feel like kind of fluffy, fun personality tests, like it's almost like pseudo horoscopy kind of stuff, but they're using these personality tests basically as a way to effectively discriminate against people in the job hiring process. Ooh. Because obviously you can't ask someone about mental health issues or medical issues when they're applying for very good reasons. There's, you know, that's why we have discrimination acts and things. Um, but what corporations are using are these sort of personality tests as a way to try to identify traits in people that they want to just like not hire for at all. Lawsuits are happening and there are people that are kind of just falling through the cracks because they can't even like get a job interview because they're getting cut off before they even get the chance to sit down and interview for these jobs because these personality tests are just cutting them out of the process completely. And so, John, is that because certain types of these personalities, and I'm sure you'll get into it, are more prone to certain types of behaviour? Or is it that a company might go, hey, we've already got lots of extroverts and we're really wanting an introvert, but we can't say in a job application only introverts apply? Or is there like one particular group of personality that is getting blocked or discriminated against more than the other? It's usually more traits within the personalities. It's also interesting because obviously we're now like AI is a big buzzword. And it's because humans aren't even looking at the applications is also part of the problem. It's all algorithms. But what is 
is kind of happening is a company will go like, oh, let's look at thousands of employees and figure out the personalities of the good employees. And then let's only try to hire more employees that fit that personality. And it's all done by algorithm and it's all done automatically. And it's just like, you kind of just hiring this like same homogenous guy who's usually like a white straight man from college kind of thing. And it's like, you're not getting any diversity on like a number of levels. The documentary goes into basically how it's classist, how it's ableist and how it's racist because these algorithms are built on these personality tests, which were written like a hundred years ago. There's no real science behind them. Of course, they were created by white people in a very, like in a certain period of time. Yeah, it's just kind of this like sinister side of corporate recruitment where we're just kind of handing off all these decisions to AIs and robots and stuff. And you're kind of missing out on the beautiful spectrum of what different people can bring to jobs. At the end of the documentary, you'll feel educated on this, but is there hope in it? Or is it literally like, don't ever do one of these things if they ask you to do them at work? Or if a company asks you to do them, do you think I don't want to work with them? Yeah, there's a bit of hope. The documentary is very US focused and there's been a lot of changes to the law. And they talk to the people that have helped change the law. So that's really promising. Like there's heaps of questions companies can't ask anymore. And it was all born out of this stuff. So that's great. But it ends sort of a bit optimistic, but also a bit ominous just because you know so much of our lives are kind of getting driven by algorithms and technology and stuff now. And it's like, there's something amazing about meeting a person in an interview Mm, and just getting a sense of their personality and not knowing like what amazing thing they might say. And if you're cutting off the chance to meet these people, just because an algorithm says there's 1% less chance you'd want to hire them or something. It's just a bit sad. Great recommendation. This is exactly why I love dinner party recommendation. Are you going to put it somewhere obvious for us so that we can find it in the carousel? Yes, yes. You'll be able to find it very easily on Binge soon. Okay, I'm going to give this a go. I haven't watched this one, so thank you for the suggestion. Personality tests are ableist, racist, sexist, and classist. This goes deeper than we thought. They've infected the whole system. Thanks, John. One of my favourite types of movies and televisions is things based on true stories. And there's a carousel that you've got on the movie page on Binge called Based on True Stories, and it's full of lots of movies and documentaries, feature docs, dramas as well. And one of my favourite ones in there, or one that I don't know if lots of people might have seen, it came out just when Binge launched, so probably three years ago, and it's an HBO film and it's called Bad Education. The better the school system, the higher the price tag on the homes. These are the best early decision numbers that we've ever seen. I wanted to make a difference. I got us all the way to number four, and I will get us to number one. Get us to first. That's all that matters. Do you know this one, John? Yes. Hugh Jackman, Alison Janney. That's the one. And so, yeah. yeah, if you just feel like sitting down Friday night, Saturday night, whatever, and just kind of getting stuck into a really good film, this is the story of Hugh Jackman's character who is running a school, but he's embezzling money through the school. And Alison Janney works with him at the, at the school and kind of works on the school board and kind of does all the finances. And you realise that they're running quite a junket and it just kind of shows you, yeah, the unravelling of what is the largest embezzlement in the history of public schools in America. So really interesting way in. And I think Hugh Jackman plays a really cool character in it. It was um, nominated at the Emmys back in 2020 and it's called Bad Education. But when you're there looking for it, check out that carousel because there's plenty of other good ones in there as well. Yeah, it was only a couple of weeks ago my dinner party wreck was Wizard of Lies, yes. which was the uh, Bernie Madoff HBO film. HBO do these 
quite like specific story, like they're sort of brief for movies that HBO seems to be to tell very specific, timely stories. They often don't go and make films that are like completely fictional like they like to retell semi-recent stories and I think they do it so well because you get to dive into these stories that often you've only ever seen like a headline of or something and yeah half those films in that carousel are HBO exclusives and stuff that you may have not have seen at the theaters or elsewhere well I promised some optimism with my other dinner party recommendation so I will try to deliver this is also a documentary this is coincidentally also an HBO CNN co-production. I didn't plan it like this, <laughs> but it just happened to be. When the credits rolled on both of them, I realized they were both made with CNN. But anyway, my other dinner party recommendation that I wanted to get the word out on was Ravi Patel's Pursuit of Happiness. Ah. So this was a four-parter and it's presented by Ravi Patel, who people will recognize from like sitcoms and films and stuff that he's been in. But basically he's on a, the pursuit of happiness. He kind of wants to see what makes people tick around the world and what especially other countries in the context of outside of America are doing in different parts of their life, basically. So it's broken up into four different topics. The first episode is about growing old. So he actually takes his parents to Mexico and they go and sort of see what retirement looks like in Mexico yeah. and how obviously it's quite different to America. He then takes his wife to Japan to look at parenting. So obviously everyone's kind of familiar with the idea that like Japanese parents kind of send out their toddlers to go and do errands and like there's oh, there's a whole different sort of style of parenting in Japan. There's a third episode which is all about work-life balance in South Korea. So he takes his friend and they go and look at what work-life balance looks like in South Korea. Do they have work-life balance in South Korea better than we do? Uh, I don't know if better is the word, but it's a way to look at it differently than more traditional Western cultures do. Okay. And then finally, him and a different friend go to Denmark to look at immigration. So obviously immigration is a hot topic issue everywhere, but sort of especially in America. And it kind of looks at the Syrian refugees who fled to Denmark and how they've sort of integrated into society and how they reacted, how the Danes reacted to them and looks at it as a microcosm for how America or, you know, in any country could tackle immigration. So four really big life topics, some um, sort of immigration, work, parenting and growing old and kind of takes a dive into those topics by looking at it through a different culture, which I think is like a really cool format. It's like a bit, a bit travel loggy, but also tackling some serious issues. He's a comedian, so he's also just sort of great presence on screen. And especially the first episode, at least with his parents, dragging his elderly parents around Mexico and they're like, oh, we, we might just stay here. <laughs> and it's kind of quite fun. So yeah, you could, this is like totally in Louis Theroux's territory. So it's, it's that type of documentary, just sort of bundled up in this sort of um, topic of happiness. Dip into any episode that might interest you or just watch them watch all. Them all. So, yeah, that's Ravi Patel's Pursuit of Happiness. So why did I go around the world? I'm Ravi. Hey, how are you? I'm Ravi. Hey, I'm Ravi. You're Raji? Ravi. Parenting. Work. Retirement. Immigration. Everywhere you turn, there's a different way of doing something. And I love it. I'm going to talk about a show called SWAT. Are you a SWAT fan, John? Uh, you mean S dot W dot A dot T dot? Yes, as opposed to swatting <laughs> yes. the fly. Um, yes. Now, this is a crime procedural series that we have six seasons of on Binge, and it's always super popular. So it's something that we've got exclusively. And the reason it comes to mind this week, other than the fact that season six is just concluding, so we've seen a lot of viewing of the series, 
But there's a writer strike happening at the moment in Hollywood and in America um, where writers that belong to the writers' union that write for all different types of film and television are on strike. And as part of that, a lot of shows that we're used to seeing are potentially going to be delayed. Aside from the writer's strike going into kind of the season where the networks and all the channels in America are kind of setting their programming decisions for the year and what shows are going to continue and which ones are going to get cancelled. And so SWAT, which has got a really loyal fan base, all of a sudden this week it was announced. It's a bit of a surprise, actually, that it was not going to be renewed and the fans were really, really upset. I think the headline was even like SWAT cancelled among, amongst like surging ratings. It was kind it of was like, like, it was a real head, like it was a real head Everyone was like, yeah. why? We know that procedurals are super popular, very, very broad in their appeal. And when we know from SWAT, loved by binge customers and viewers. So anyway, but a few days later, then the headline came out, SWAT not cancelled, coming back for season seven, but it will be its final season. So they will, for all the fans of SWAT out there, they will also get the ending to this show. So you're not left wondering. It's set in LA. It's about a, a highly trained group of men and women who are out solving crimes. Sherma Moore plays the lead, Sergeant Daniel Hondo Harrelson, who's kind of the, the real front of this group. You might recognise him from Young and Restless or um, another great procedural, Criminal Minds. But if you are, if you love NCIS, if you love SVU, Law and Order, if you love Blue Buds, if you love knowing a show where there's a self-contained story, um, every week and you can really just get stuck into some characters and you haven't come across SWAT before, highly recommend it because there's six seasons, lots to get watching on and get stuck into. And hopefully uh, season seven coming soon once the writer strike settles down and we understand the implications of that because it is something that is kind of looming over Hollywood and for binge shows or shows that we have on binge, we've already seen a delay to Saturday Night Live, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. You know, it doesn't have to be a drama or comedy to require a writer as well. There's plenty of unscripted or reality shows where writers are heavily involved. So we're beginning to kind of see the first few things get interrupted, but depending on how long this goes on, yeah, it's something that we're all keeping a close eye on, John, isn't it? Yeah, it's always the sort of topical comedies that get hit first with these strikes. So yeah, like you said, we've already seen SNL and Last Week Tonight be delayed. Felt quite inevitable that this strike was coming. So I'm kind of hoping that for viewers at least, there won't be a huge interruption because it feels like people really were rushing to get a lot of stuff made before what ended up being this inevitable strike. We will just have to keep everyone updated as we learn what might get delayed. But we've still got plenty of Premiere stuff that's in the can, that's ready to, well, maybe not ready to go, but almost ready to go. So we've still got really exciting stuff to talk about over the coming months. But yeah, I think sort of inevitably a few things might get delayed or pushed back or... Yeah, um, it's interesting times. And there's a lot of difference of opinions between the writers and the studios that they're kind of fighting against. It was interesting you just talking in your earlier recommendation about AI and bots and things and technology and it's not just about money and, and working conditions. There's some kind of philosophical things at play as well. My boy Squiggle cooked up this beat for me. Kurt just called me soy boy. You lack killer instinct. You're wet, you're green, you're intellectually insecure. And I'm proud of my family. Your principles? Today is season four, episode eight. Eight of ten means we are in the home stretch, Ali. I hate to <laughs> hate to remind you. Um, <laughs> uh, but season four, episode eight, which was just released today, is called America Decides. And I feel like for the last four seasons of Succession, we have had politics as this really strong sort of B story or thing that's happened on the TV screens within the show. And there's occasionally been presidents and presidential hopefuls mosey their way into different parts of the show. But this is the episode where we really jump 
jump into an American election and the power that our uh, Roy family wield. Well, we've heard all through succession that, you know, Logan Roy chooses presidents and has the power. And I mean, I think was it was in season two when he flies down to see the president and he gets stood up for a matter here. Have I yeah. been, have I been shaded? What's going on? And actually, no, there was yeah. a general crisis happening, which is why the president didn't see you. But then the president does play a role, doesn't it? In lots of episodes. So it's something that we've seen, but this is really the chance to go, do they really have the power? And as we've mentioned in the past, this season, the episodes are all taking place in very sort of confined moments. This feels like almost real time in that they're following, it's literally election night in America and they're following the votes getting counted. We've sort of met Jared Menken a few mm-hmm. times. I was less familiar with the other candidate, but that's because I think they were sort of in the pocket of, of Menken. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we've got Daniel Jimenez, who's the Democrat, and Jared Menken, who's the Republican. Jared Menken has Roman on speed dial and WhatsApp, and they are talking through the whole election. Before Logan died, they kind of chose Menken as the candidate, and it was really Roman that saw the potential in him and put him forward. Even though he sort of had less experience. And then obviously Shiv with her very sort of progressive liberal background where she did work for a previous presidential candidate would have been much happier to see Jimenez become president. But the sort of central theme of this episode is that it kind of doesn't matter what's best for the Republic because what matters is what's best for the Roy family personally. <laughs> um, so when you and I vote for politicians, I like to think we're putting on our civic hats and thinking about what's best for the country. The Roy family does not think that way. They want to have the president that will stop this deal from going through, who will make a big scene about tech overreach and who will help them hold on to their own company and kick out Matson. So the assumption there is that the Republican candidate will say we don't want foreign ownership of one of our big media companies and they'll kind of play the foreigner card as well. Yeah, the foreign card and obviously tech. tech overreach and, you know, tech having too much control in your life. Mm-hmm. So they're like, this guy will lean into that and it'll stop the deal and Waystar Royco will remain because, in the family. Yeah, because both Roman and Kendall don't want this deal to go through. And so the other big thing that comes through in this episode is the foil that Shiv's been playing behind their back and how that comes to be. And isn't it interesting that old cousin Greg strikes again? Greg, Gregory Peggery. Gregory Peggery. <laughs> How good was that scene when he's outside the room, the glass? You know, it's so interesting. I've been in offices like that where you've got this big glass wall and you can see something going on, but you really is it's soundproof. Brilliant scene, wasn't it? With Gregory well, Kendall realizing through a phone call and then Greg kind of sharing some additional information as well. And just the way his face changed. It was like he was being heartbroken. His face was responding like someone that was getting broken up with or was seeing betrayal. Like he just played betrayal yeah. on his face so well. And and the fear in Shiv's face as she was watching that play out, I thought it was just a brilliant sibling moment. Yeah. And I think Shiv has done a really good tight rope walk this season of keeping everyone happy, not overstepping either side, having her fingers in both pies of both Matson and the brothers. And this is the episode where she like is outed as effectively working for the enemy sort of thing. And you can just see the rift. I think at one point Roman's even like, you know, get security sort of thing Mm. to like get her out of here. The brief part of this season where there was a bit of unity among the siblings, it's certainly over by the end of this episode. So there's a couple of things going on here. Normally if you're the first to call something, everyone's, as a media organisation, everyone has their own, the big guys have all got their own um, kind of interpreters of the data and the voting that they're interpreting before they go out and make a call because there is sometimes a sense that if it's really obvious that 
do they ever stop counting or they still count, but there's almost this sense of yeah. momentum that by going out first, you kind of, A, they're in a rush to all kind of call it first. And famously in uh, the last US election, Fox News called Georgia or one state. Yeah, Fox News called a state that everyone else sort of had in the balance, but because Fox News has this like famously well-invested decision desk that has all these great, you know, stats people and can call these things really early. They called it early. They were criticised for calling it early, but they ended up being right. And then that early call basically saw, you know, all the other states topple and the president decided. It was like Um, an early indicator of what was happening because of the type of state it was, yep. And it's kind of the opposite happening in this episode where they're sort of maliciously calling a state because they feel like this is the last domino that if they sort of, I think it's Wisconsin, where they're like, if we call Wisconsin and then I think PGN calls Arizona, then it's like game over. Mm -hmm. But by them sort of pushing that first domino over, they're able to get the rest of the media to basically call it for Mencken, which is what they wanted to do. If anyone then challenges it or when they vote count, which I assume will happen if it isn't, if he didn't actually win it, then they'll say, well, because there were ballots being burnt and there was some other voter fraud kind of being considered. Then so then they're going to say. Call, call everything into question. And you might have months of kind of civil unrest or, um, yeah. you know, this might get stuck in the legal system. And for three months they can have, that's enough for them to derail their deal effectively. Like it allows them the time, even if it ultimately. Yeah. So that's the kind of difference to the real life example that we've just referred to because that was an early call based off good technology or whatever. And if anything, Fox News called the state to the Democrats, not to the Republicans, as was expected. Yeah. But this is actually saying, no, you know, we're kind of helping create chaos. And if they do keep counting through the night and it's too close to call, but they've called it, well, then for three months or however long, you're in kind of a bit of anarchy state. And I I, I was really scared when I listened to Mankin's victory speech. Oh, it was terrifying. It was like, it yeah. was a bit dictator-like, wasn't it? Yeah. And the language was yeah. so, when I mean, you said there really about scary. the Republic, I mean, whoever talks about America as the Republic, I know it's a group of states and, you know, the great United States of America, but it was like, it was, the language was very, um, obviously purposefully done, but it felt very uh, dictatorial almost. Yeah, from like storyline perspective, we've got two episodes left and I'm just like, I think we know who the president is, but are we going to find out? And like, is it going to matter? But the other thing that does happen in this episode, it's a big Shiv episode, really. She does tell Tom about the baby. She's pregnant, yeah. So last week he insulted her so terribly, didn't he, in the balcony fight, saying that she wasn't... They they both insulted each other. But She actually starts by pulling him aside and apologising. And saying, yeah. I went too far with some things, and she's looking for an apology back from him. Now, does he not give it to her because the guy is holding three phones at the time trying to coordinate an election desk on the biggest night of his corporate career, which is, again, her hijacking his legitimate job. He has a job, he's trying to do it well, and she kind of hijacks it right at a time that is really an opportunity. He should have said, I don't have time to talk to you this really big night. I think he does, and she ignores him, and he doesn't. He also just wanted to go to bed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he's kind of looking at it going, you know, he's holding three, three phones, he's totally distracted, and so he doesn't give her the response that she's probably looking for. And I'm like, is that purposeful or is that because he's just stuck on the other five things that are in his mind and he's listening to her last? I'm not sure. Probably Jesse Armstrong probably did that in a way, so we're not sure. And foiling these two finally, you know, are they ever going to get it right? But he says, is this just another play? Is this another game? So, yeah, Shiv says, I'm pregnant by you. And then Tom's response is, is that even true or is this a new position or tactic? It shows you how, like, disconnected from reality and, like, attached to their jobs and politics and everything that they are that like your wife telling you you're pregnant and your first response is like oh is this like a play are you doing this for some political maneuver or something but yeah 
those two. They're terrible, aren't they? Because you just kind of go, I think he was excited and there was a flicker of love and excitement over him, wasn't there? But then, yeah, he just goes straight to the... He was also high on coke, which we should... That is true. Greg, Greg, Greg gets some coke, which he then does behind a whiteboard because every office is uh, just a big glass fishbowl at, at ATM. Actually, that's a really good point. Here I am going, poor Tom, it's a really big 90s career <laughs> and the guy's just, you know, racked up to try and keep it through the night. But, yeah, oh, my God, these people... So he's making a call on the future of America whilst yes. high on coke at the instruction. Yeah, and finding out he's a father and getting yelled at by three siblings. Yeah, wow. So, yeah, the episode ends with Mencken being called the winner, him having that sort of terrifying victory speech, and then Roman looking at his phone and, say, and saying, you know, the president's calling. So the president-elect's first phone call is to the CEO of a, of a news channel. And the episode ends with someone basically saying, I'll see you tomorrow at the funeral. Yes. So as this show continues to do, basically just episode by episode is day after day since Logan's died. I guess episode nine will finally be burying Logan. A penultimate episode next week, Ali. Well, if you are listening to this podcast, you no doubt know that new episodes of Succession come out on Mondays at 11am on Binge. But yeah, as we said, next week is the penultimate and then we've got the finale on May 29th. So soak it all up and please, please, please just stay on top of these episodes because we know the world does not keep quiet about spoilers. This week on Skip Intro, we talked about a lot of things. I recommended two documentaries, including Persona, The Dark Side of Personality Tests, and Ravi Patel's Pursuit of Happiness. And Ali recommended that you check out SWAT, which we have every episode of and which season six has just wrapped up and season seven will be coming soon, along with the HBO film Bad Education, starring Australia's own Hugh Jackman, Um, all of which are streaming for you now on Binge. I'm John Baum, joined every week by Ali Herbert Burns. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast was produced by Dan Barrett with audio editing and mixing by Chris Yates. And we will be back next episode for more Skip Intro.